Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources, so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and then found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise. And I love to say that for my Canadian friends because it is a gorgeous morning in South Florida. And I am so excited today about our show. I am so, I would call it ginned up. I don't drink, but I, I just got the greatest feeling this morning when I was doing research on my friend and special guest, Miss Deborah Morrison. Deb, are you there? I'm here. Yippee! You're coming to me from uh, New Jersey today. And you said it's a balmy. 30-something degrees. <laughs> it's all relative. Our temperatures are our temperatures, and uh, they've been okay so far. So they've far. been okay, and I always love to do the weather report here on the show at the beginning because we've got some friends from Canada that just came in, and I know it's freezing up there. So that makes me laugh as I'm looking out <laughs> at the sun and thinking, hmm, it's going to be a nice maybe 78, 80 degrees here today. Just beautiful. <laughs> so, it's fun, and I, you know. I moved here on purpose because I had had enough of that cold winter up in Vermont all those years ago. So I recovered from weather. Today we're going to recover from a financial oops. And this is a, you know, I've been in a lot of your, um, lot of your programs and shows and listened to you. We've become friends over the years because of our financials. And the oops and the ahs and the funds and the, you know, oh, I should have, could have, would have. But today, Deb, I like I, You've been a guest of mine before, so I'm not going to get into your background necessarily, but you've had four decades plus of financial expertise. You have a master's degree in retirement planning. You've partnered with so many people, and you're, you're a fee-only fiduciary. Um, you hold estate planning designations. You're a grief counselor. Oh, my gosh, it goes on and on, and I just I love what you've done and what you do, and I love the way you address finances because it can be scary to many people. But you've embraced it. And I want to go back. I was listening, you know, doing my research on you. I want you to tell everybody how you, when you were young, in your, you know, when you're youth, going back some years, what got you so excited about finances and about money and numbers and that kind of stuff? Give us a little bit of that. Well, thanks, Deb, and I appreciate those uh, laudatory words. Yes, we are good friends, and we do have a rich history um, that dovetails. And uh, to the extent that we are talking about money today, I did have an experience early on in life, um, unwittingly, of course, as most of our uh, 
seminal experiences are, and that was my grandfather was a stock market investor, uh, my maternal grandfather, and he had given each of us four children um, certificates of stock, and there were three different stocks, and he was handing them to me, and his hands were shaking. Now, this is a man that was very hardworking. He almost never enjoyed himself. Um, and so to see him be this emotional, this, this charged, literally charged, his hands were charged with energy and electricity almost when he's handing me these stocks. And he said, uh, don't cash these until you have to, Deb. And I just could see in his face and in his hands shaking, that was not just a piece of paper. It was written on a piece of paper, but it was more significant than a piece of paper. And then uh, fast forward a year or two, and my aunt took me to New York City where she lived in New Jersey, and it was just completely <laughs> a different world because I was raised on a very humble 100-acre beef cattle farm on the Pennsylvania-Ohio border. We had never seen a city, let alone New York City. And she took us to the New York Stock Exchange, and, and I maybe have been seven or eight, and they had plexiglass in front of where the viewers were walking by and, of course, the floor. And I, I don't think I stepped one step beyond where we just could see everything. I, my nose was pressed against the plexiglass, and I looked down at that floor, and there was so much energy there. I could not believe my eyes, never seen anything like it. I mean, in the day, paper tickets, tickets were up to people's, like, calves and kneecaps, wading through these, shouting, throwing tickets up in the air, arms waving, a lot of activity. And I didn't understand it, but I was completely captivated by it. And I didn't, I don't think I talked to anybody about it. I just, I, my aunt had to haul me, come on, people are behind us, we have to move on. I never wanted to leave that just because it was so encapsulating. And um, I said to myself at some cellular level on that day, I will be involved with that energy somehow. I didn't really think I was going to be down there. Of course, it was all white men down there. I didn't think I was going to be down there doing that kind of thing. But there was something about what they were dealing with, the um, expression, if you will, the, the sense of energy around money. And, of course, I did know it was the stock exchange. I knew that much. But it was completely captivating. And so I um, decided in um, – just out of college, I thought, well, you know, I, 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 I'm good in sales. I'm good with people. I mean, we were good relational people there, raised on the farm, say hello to anybody, and um, decided to go into sales. And, oh, yes, I wanted to go into investment sales. This was very interesting to me. And you can imagine the reception, <coughs> or lack thereof, uh, for a 21-year-old white uh, girl uh, in an old white man's business uh, to do investing, and of course they said, uh, no, no, <clears throat> heck no. Um, but you could sell life insurance, and um, it was very curious. I um, didn't, didn't know much about life insurance. Of course, heard about it. I didn't even think my parents had any life insurance, but I guess they did. In any event, I said, listen, tell me about the product, and I'll figure it out, and they did. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a product that can keep families together, businesses working. And I proceeded to... Um, lead the agency in sales the first, my first year. <laughs> I can assure you this is not typical uh, of anyone to stay in the life insurance business. It's one of the most high turnover businesses. And so it was, um, it was completely um, 
uh, innovative that that a young girl was was doing this, and and I was just as shocked, I think, as everyone else. <laughs> um, and it was the same old typical, you know, sexism. I would go out on joint calls with a big, tall, well, not big, but tall, white-haired, distinguished-looking man, <clears throat> and he was probably 65 if he was a minute. And I trained him, right? <laughs> so we'd go on joint calls, and we would alternate between, you know, questioning the business owner about their health insurance, and then one of us would ask, and one of us would listen, and then the next appointment, the other one would flip-flop. And I said to him, when we got in the car at the office gym, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to ask the question. They're going to give you the answer because they're not going to consider me. He goes, oh, that's ridiculous. We're beyond that. It's exactly what happened the entire day, and every day we went out. <laughs> so in any event, it was a lot of um, sexism that I bore through and just decided because I was passionate about the whole thing and finally went in after two years and said, uh, boys, I do want to do investments. And so then I got Series 7. I didn't even do 6. That was ridiculous. I wanted to go right to being able to sell stocks. And then I realized the interconnectedness between income tax and investing, and almost nobody was – talking about that. Surely no insurance agent was asking their uh, wealthier insurance prospects to see their tax return. And they met my question to see their tax return with complete disbelief, like no one's ever asked me that before. And I said, well, that's unfortunate, but it's so important. And so I began to incorporate financial planning even as an insurance sales person and then went full-fledged into financial planning the second it was available. And then the second fee-only planning was available in 1998 or 9, I uh, took to that like uh, completely, you know, white on rice because it felt to me completely congruent, serving the client and never, ever going to be dealing with the thought or the question, hey, Deborah, what's in this for you? you know, are you going to make a big life, fat life insurance commission off of this? And so it just felt uh, wonderful. Uh, yet, <laughs> in saying that, I gave up uh, six figures of renewal income every January 1. Mm. So that's a commitment that very, very few people are willing to make. So like when, when someone hears like I'm a financial, I was a, and I'm no longer a financial advisor. I sold my practice two years ago, but I'm a financial coach. But when I would say to people on a plane seat, <clears throat> yeah, I'm a financial advisor, and say, oh, you're just like my nephew, Jeff, who's with Merrill Lynch. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> probably like a grape and a watermelon, both fruit, but pretty different. So anyway, that's the deal. I love that you're making me laugh. Uh, so you you've had incredible training. You've, you've uh, advised a lot of people, but our the story today is about recovering from a financial oops. While you're in the business, Deborah, there's no way that you could have had an oops moment, or oh, did you? Had a few of them. Yeah, had a few. <laughs> Tell of them us about for sure. one of them. Well, the most significant. Um, oops, if you will, was uh, always with my own money, I will say. I was very disciplined as a financial advisor. I did the blocking and tackling and the tax uh, incorporation of my clients' investments. So never did I put any of my clients' monies into any of these uh, alternative investments, if you will. But they came across my desk all the time, all the time. Why don't you invest in this? Why don't you consider that? We're going to bring you in, give you a steak dinner, and blah, 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 to look at our investments so that you can sell it. Well, I just discarded so many of them. But here's this one that says trash to cash. And they were taking corporate trash, all of the metal and the oils and the butt that butt to convert it to recyclable goods. And we were going to be able to invest in this and, uh, you know, get a nice return on, on our investment and do good, right? This was very, very important to me, doing good for the earth. 
So it was like, I don't know, back in 2009 or something. I, I almost forget the year. And uh, I've invested from my IRA. I thought, well, this is cool. My IRA is just sitting there. It's for the long term. And so I invested, I think, probably originally $15,000 into this first offering. And it was very, very fun. And then they were building new plants and they were opening a new uh, idea. Then they bought um, property in Tennessee, um, like 100 acres, and they were going to have a whole green community, and everybody got one-lot acres. I ended up with two one-lot, one-acre, excuse me, lots, my fault, one-acre lots, and we were going to be able to live there, and one division was going to be those that golf, and it was just amazing, and they were starting a university, and they had an affiliate university in Hawaii, so the whole thing ended up being uh, very, very uh, complex and very, very well orchestrated. I remember going to double ballroom compliance meetings with this company early on and drove to Philly for them. And they were, you know, I was maybe one of the only five people in the whole double ballroom that wasn't a CPA. And so I'm thinking to myself, all right, everybody's here. We're asking some interesting questions. And and, you know, that it felt to me like I had done due diligence. So I began and, and every time they would raise money and then they'd have enough money for this offering. And so they would close it. And, and this is very often the case. They have limited partnerships and you just keep putting into the subsequent limited partnership. Well, at the beginning, I, I uh, took some cash from it. And then I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Like, why don't I reinvest my dividends? So I would reinvest the cash flow uh, back into the next project. And, and I ended up having units in, I think, seven projects. And one of them has, you know, gave me this two uh, one-acre lots in Tennessee. So we're going along just fine, thank you, thank you very much, for about three or four years. And the payments are happening exactly as promised, and they were about double what anybody was getting anyplace else. And I had this great feeling. Until we had a call one Monday morning, and it was our general partner, who was a young guy, very young man, and... Um, he said the uh, SEC had called him and wanted him to go to a meeting in Denver. <clears throat> now, he was in Philly. And one of the promoters was in Colorado. And, um, and he said, uh, but he says, you know, I thought we could answer some questions over the phone. I said, Troy, for the love of God, if the SEC is calling you, you are going to Denver. And so there was just this quiet on the line. So he's he's like, you know, all right, whatever. So we hang up, and I sank into my chair. And I said to myself, holy God, say it isn't so that this is a Ponzi scheme. And at some level, I knew full well it was a Ponzi scheme. He was trying to skirt the SEC. I was being very obstinate about, no, you do deal with the SEC. I mean, I'm regulated by the SEC. It's nothing to trifle with. So um, things began to uh, become evident, and it was indeed true, and the uh, investors attempted to get together and form a group and do a class action, and our attorneys and our law firm somehow fumbled the ball, and time passed. Now, meanwhile, I am completely cut to the quick, Mm. thinking how in the world. Now, at this point, I'm a pretty seasoned certified financial planner. I have clients with me with accounts of $20 million. 
I'm a certified financial planner. I got it in a year and a half. It took everybody else three years because I doubled up. I was admitted to the Registry of Financial Planning Practitioners, a group of less than 700 internationally on the first attempt. I was the only one in the state of New Jersey that I knew that didn't take two and three attempts to get in. Uh, Without tooting my own horn too long, I was not anyone to be trifled with in my field. Probably, and, and, a, and a woman at that. So maybe the people in the whole United States of America in financial planning, there were maybe one or two other people, and certainly maybe one of them was a woman. There was another woman who was probably on my par. So we're not talking about a person that you know taught school yesterday and decided to be a financial planner today. So with that backdrop and with my complete involvement viscerally, with money. And to have this experience, I definitely went into a depression that was so gripping, I contemplated suicide. Mm-hmm. Did and you, then I said, did it slow you I can't, down I can't do that, you know. Well, actually, I continued to work, which was an amazing thing. I compartmentalized mm-hmm. That because there were none of my clients knew that I had done this. This was only my money. And at this point, it wasn't out on the news yet. And of course, that's the next thing. Holy God, when this comes out in the news and they list all the investors' names, my prospective clients, because when you're a prospective client, you'd be wise to Google your financial planner and figure out, you know, if they've ever been in prison and all this stuff, right? Or just get their experience. And I'm thinking to myself, holy God, this is going to be out there. She's a failure. Look how much money she lost. And uh, it wasn't a couple of dollars. I had invested $214,000 back around 2006 and then, you know, over the next three or four years. <clears throat> I dare not even put that into a calculator to see what it would be worth today. And worse yet, it was in an IRA, Deb, and I could not deduct it as a bad investment. When you invest through your IRA, you lose. You do not get any tax relief from it because the presence of those monies in the IRA signifies they've already been tax advantaged. They're pre-tax monies. So there's no write-off. There's no release. And relief. Another person that put in the same amount of money, so let's say 200000 for ease of math, they're in a 30% tax bracket. They at least get $60,000 of capital losses they, they, can, they can counter against $60,000 of capital gains. I got zero zip zilch. And moreover, <laughs> my IRA, which was to be my retirement, is now uh, very much gutted, very much mm-hmm. gutted, as I was, as I was. Know that feeling, Deb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so did you ever, well, obviously it was going to come out in the news. When it did, how did you react to that? Well, uh, I was surprised, actually, that there wasn't that much publicity of the investors' names. There, okay. there, it's out there, but um, it wasn't horrifically public as I was fearing. Uh, this, was, this was after Madoff. But mm-hmm. there, there weren't that many Ponzi schemes at the time. Uh, uh, hence, another reason why I was, you know, probably uh, taken. Um, in addition to it being very well orchestrated, as you know, these mm-hmm. people are not stupid. No, they're no, not. No, they're and not. So and that's how. It, it is interesting that you know, this, our stories are, are they run parallel. Uh, and mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. you know, 
I and and the millions of women that have been and men that have been taken in in relationship scams. It's just it's a financial fraud, and and the stories yeah. might be different, and there are intelligent mm-hmm. people that are being taken advantage of. I mean, you just said it. You you had the most financial education background anybody could have had, and you yeah. should not have been taken. But yep. same with me, yep. right? Yep. So. And there's you the to deal with that. There's the shoulds that we need to eradicate. <laughs> exactly. So how did you forgive yourself first so that you could move forward? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a process. It was a process. Um, I think, as you well know, um, that, that when we are dealt such a significant blow, and this kind of dovetails with my grief coaching. You know, I, I don't do grief coaching per se, but I interweave grief coaching principles into everything I do. And, and when we're reduced to mere survival, like even in Maslow's, you know, uh, hierarchy, we're in the limbic brain. You know, we're afraid, we're depressed, we're worthless, we're self-flagellating for sure. And, and it's important then, and that's what I did, is to begin with some action. So... For the outside world, see, I had an image to keep up. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really appear hor- horrified because someone, you know, who would know me would say, well, what the heck is up with you, right? And I didn't want to talk about it. So I was basically, you know, putting on a big front. But as we know, eventually when we come to some semblance of a conscious mind, we understand that we need to start doing the simple things in life. We need to get out of bed. We need to eat. We need to sleep. We need to survive. And these are little tiny wins that I ended up putting one behind the other. And ultimately, that built back my confidence that, okay, now I, probably, I, I should be alive. I, should, I want to be alive. I'm not sure if I would have said that want, but I, I no longer wanted to kill myself. And then I began to imagine my clients, who were counting on me. It was basically a one-person show. I wasn't another certified financial planner in my firm, just the two admins. So I was the brains behind their financial future, and many of them had been with me already 20 years. And so, um, and so the issue of um, me being of service to them, and I knew the work I had done for them was excellent, and I had been to national conferences, and I had heard some of my fellow financial planners talking around the dinner tables and the drinks um, being served. And, and, you know, I would say things to them like, uh, so how many, you know, reclassification Ross did you guys do? That's not the right word. And, and they say, oh, I, we didn't do that. That's too much work. We did them. And we did like 15 of them, and we only had about 30 clients. Right? So we did what was right for the client, and it was a lot of work. And they so benefited and I began to think of them, and literally, one client after another, I pictured in my, the four of my mind, just like it was at about six-inch distance, and I pictured, okay, there's, there's Ron and Jace, and there's, there's, there's Betty and Bill. There's, and I said to myself, I vowed to them. I have an agreement with them, and I am not yet dead, and I need to continue with this. And I'll tell you... Um, that probably was one of the biggest pieces of my salvation. Well, it's important because it's not about you anymore. It's about what what happened makes you a bigger, better person because now you can empathize with any of the oops that they made 
and you can get stick. through it. But Debbie, you wore that big woman behind the smile. I mean, I'm, I just wrote oh, down yeah. here, the woman behind the smile. And I'm looking at yeah. your picture and you're smiling and it's beautiful. But um, it, it's tough. Who did you have support you? Did you have any friends or family that you could talk to about this? Because that's the toughest part is when you're alone and you can't verbalize what you're feeling. Yes. Uh, I spoke with my mother. As a matter of fact, I put my mother in this investment um, and uh, for a small, I mean, I think maybe $10,000. And I paid her back and everything like that. But the issue is I, did, I was able to speak to her. And yet I never spoke to another person because I was just too mortified and, and, and completely embarrassed about it. And so um, let's talk about this because I was able to keep going and doing per se, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I think that... I want to talk about um, like religious backgrounds. Some of us come from religious backgrounds. I don't care what religion. The world religions basically all tout in some language or another unconditional love and forgiveness and all this stuff. These are spiritual uh, goals, spiritual practices that we should all be about, right? And so Christians, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, The Buddhists, move from your emotional attachments to be at peace uh, with all of the impermanence of life, right? Um, A yogi is going to move closer to uh, their goal of uniting with the Brahma, right? The great self. A Jewish person Person can use eight steps to freedom at Yom Kippur. Um, they're going to reach their atonement in their own fashion. And ultimately, all of this religious training has translated, at least in my experience and in many of my friends, to we should do this for the other person. And for many of us, it felt like when we were suffering at such a deep level that this was just one more should. And absent, at least from my upbringing, was the good news. Hey, this is going to be good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Right? Number one. And two, here's how you do it. Right? Imagine the the curtailing of years and maybe decades of suffering of some of us, if we were have, would have just been given that good news, right? We always talk about good news uh, of the Bible, right? At least in my mm-hmm. Christian fundamentals background. And so we weren't taught about that. And so um, if, if we think of the spiritual masters that walked, if you will, if we believe the, that these people walk, Muhammad, Buddha, Jesus, etc., if we believe their ultimate message, I think it can be translated to, follow me, probably some little uh, affirmative dear souls kind of message. It doesn't have to be this hard. Lighten up. Mm-hmm. Release your hurt. Let go. Live the universal law of loving one another, and you'll feel better too. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because uh, my last week's show, was about the Hawaiian, the ancient practice of the whole yes. Ho'oponopono. And honestly, mm-hmm. I'd never, I'd heard that a little bit. I think Nancy Matthews had said it at a WPN meeting. But when I yeah. listened to it, and I listened to it this morning, it's, mm-hmm. I love you. Yeah. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And thank you. Thank you. And yeah. they have, a, yeah. those are very powerful feelings if you just quiet it down to hear it. And when we're in the middle of these um, tragedies in our lives, you know, these especially yeah. the financial ones, you're just there's no quiet. You know, yeah. 
you're yeah. running around trying to say, now what do I do? How do I fix it? And so I love, you took this now, and we're going to transition a little bit into, into what you're doing for women uh, in addition to your grief counseling, you know, and that kind of stuff. But I love how you got together with the widows group and now you're women navigating finances. What is yeah. your mission now, Miss Deborah? Well, my mission is to basically empower. That was the name of my firm that I sold, that I created and I sold two years ago, Empowered Retirement, right? Um, I have seen my clients, certainly, and a lot of people become more and more empowered once they become friendlier and friendlier with their money. If they can bring money into their sphere of knowing and being and relating, then they're likely to be able to use money as the tool that it was always intended to be, rather than keeping money at arm's length. And so, if women, um, my experience is older women, anybody north of 55 has been socialized very, very poorly. And I have a TEDx talk that talks about that called Feel the Financial Fear and Do It Anyway. And I am quick to say, women, it's not your fault you weren't taught about money. Yet, it is your responsibility. And so many women uh, haven't really plugged into that, but then even the women who have plugged into that don't know where to start. And so I leverage the 40-plus years to say, okay, here's a roadmap. We're going to go it together. Uh, you have a coach in me. I'm not going to advise you. Uh, if you want and need to have a financial advisor, I'll give you references to people. I make nothing from it, not a nickel, not a free lunch, not a wink-wink. I will connect you with two or three people you can interview. You pick them. But the fact is we are going to move forward with women in a learning process, but also in an action process. I get so berserk when I hear people give this kind of pat answer, which, of course, pat answers always do send me into a different ozone layer. Um, the fact is, you know, people say, well, all women need is to be financially literate. Oh, good. Guess what? I would take another 80 years. It would take another 80 years for Deborah to be financial literate, and I've already spent 42 years in the process. That's nonsense. We do not go to our auto mechanic with a brake problem and say, hey, Mike, you know, my brakes are squishy. Can you look at it? And then if he comes back from his office with this four-inch thick automotive mechanic's manual and thrusts it into our hands, I'm telling you what, I've been thrusting it right back in his hands. I do not care about all of that. There's not a woman on this call or that will listen to this or that lives in the world today that needs to know what the beige book is or the M3 or what the yen is trading in relationship to the dollar. What we need are answers in the time where we have the questions, and of course, so many people in an area in which they're not trained don't even know the questions. So I get down with women to a level that's very, very uh, relatable. I talk about all the spices in your spice cabinet. If you open up all the drawers and all the doors and whatnot to your spices, you are not going to use every spice in that uh, setting with, on, on a roast, 
nor would you use every spice in a chocolate cake. You're going to use, you're pick and choose. Some go here, some go there. Some of your investment goals and your life goals will be funded by large cap stocks, and some of them will be funded by short-term bonds. And it's best to know that recipe. But here's the thing. There is very little progress made by people in life that don't have a strong why. And if we as women have been so tamped down to the responsibility of others and caring for others and that outward extension of our own energy, care for the partner, for the kids, for the family, for the house, for the church, for the community, for the synagogue, for everyone except us, then it's going to take a big mind shift for us to, one, value ourselves enough to spend the time to start asking the questions and start dreaming about what we'd like our future to be. And if people can't quite get there because it's a big step on the ladder, I say to them, you know your biggest gift you can give your kids right now, your adult kids right now, is to take care of your money so that you don't end up choosing between the kids or they end up choosing between themselves who you're going to live with. Now, that puts the emphasis differently, doesn't it? (laughs) So that's the biggest gift you can give your kids. When your kids start asking you for a loan after a loan after a loan, maybe you say, I could give you this loan just like I've done in the past, and yet I've been working with my financial coach, and it becomes important to me, and I think probably to you too, that I really get my arms around my money. And so I have a plan now, and it it doesn't factor in that I'm giving uh, loans, and typically loans without interest, which turn into gifts. It's not working anymore. I want to secure my future so that I can not only live, but give to the charities and the, and the uh, people that are doing good work uh, of my choice. But it, what I love about what, what you're doing right now is you're giving us tools to get our confidence back, our financial confidence. Because you know, I work with uh, and I'm around a lot of people who have lost a lot of money, and they 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 can't see the future. They can't see the hope in, okay, I, I lost my IRA. I, you know, I paid, paid penalty on it, and, and I don't have anything for my future. I might have to you know, sell something. I might have to sell my house. Many of them have lost their house. They need to have yeah. that first financial step to give them the confidence to start right. planning again, right. to say, okay, I, you know, I've got 30 years. Because you, you talk about you know, the average age of a widow is 55, and marriages don't last, but we're living, my parents are living examples, they're 87 and 92, we're living Mm -hmm. older. So when I hear my friends say, well, I'm going to retire at 67, I'm thinking, why? You know, retirement for me is like working until I'm 100. Um, Not because I have to, because I want to. But how do we get from the have to to want to's? Because, you know, if if we've lost a lot of money in our 60s and now we feel like we have to work two jobs or we have to do something or we're completely depressed, What's that first move to give us the confidence? The, yeah, a million-dollar question. Um, yeah. I, can, I can address this from a couple angles. Let, let's try a couple options, right? And I say try because some of them won't work for people. So let's just see what works. Put it on, see if it's your size. Number one, you've got to get yourself completely out of your conscious mind and, and out of the woe is me, victim, I'm, I'm going to fail, blah, 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 blah. Wave a magic wand. If you won the lottery tonight, what are the first five things you're going to buy or do? What about the feeling? Can you imagine the feeling 
and the look on your grandkids. Now, if you don't have grandkids, this doesn't work, but your nieces or your nephews, I don't have grandkids. What about the look on your little one's face when they are coming up to the batter's box and they look and see the surprise guests, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, aunt and aunt, in the, in the stands. You don't have to Zoom them anymore. What about if you could go and experience these seminal moments in your little one's lives? Because I'm going to assure you, when people are on their deathbed, they're not talking about they beat the standard and poor more quarters than they didn't. No, 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 no. How about this? How about we say to ourselves, um, our bodies withholding this financial grief, if you will, this self-sabotaging behavior, our chakras even are holding and clogged up with stagnant energy, dead cells. If we went to the money doctor right now and the money doctor says, wow, you have a lot of clogging in your chakras, right? How about we make that analogy to if we went to the cardiologist and the cardiologist says, well, you've got four ventricles, 80% blocked. What are we going to say? Ah, okay, good, 80%. I got another 20% to go. Hell no. We're saying, can you do surgery right now? Because I, knowing this, becoming conscious of my plight, whatever it is, I vow I do not want to be here long. And however quickly I can take the first steps, I am committed to doing that. Because those dead cells have to be eradicated. That memory has to be eradicated. What I would do when people came in and say, they would, almost all of my clients would come in, prospective clients and clients would come in and say, oh, I made this big problem. I made this big mistake. I'm, oh, I made a horrible mistake. And then I'd say, all right, tell me about it. And so they'd tell me about it. And I'd say, okay, so what else? No, that, that was it. I say, now wait a minute. So I think I just heard you say, and I would repeat exactly, because I wrote down every word people said. Because when I wrote back to them, <clears throat> I said, you know, Betty, you said that you made a complete mistake and you put money into a stock and it went completely to zero and it's a penny stock and, it, and you lost all your money. And if that is the sum total of your mistakes, we're good. We're golden. We're upward and onward from here. And just the way I would almost cavalier brush that off, because I'm the professional, remind yourself, they are paying me. On average, ten, the minimum they were paying me is $10,000 a year. So they're trusting me at some point, right? And I'm saying, this is nothing, honey. We're going to solve this. And the fact that I'm that comfortable, they would like lean in physically. I would watch them lean in, bring their elbows on the table and lean in and almost to the extent of saying, let's go. What's the first step? Now, you can take that first step and we're going to fall. Yes, we are, just like a toddler learning to walk. And I want us to treat our adult selves like we would have treated our little selves. And when a little toddler starts to walk and they fall, what do we say? <laughs> they should know how to walk by now. No, we say, Jimmy, Susie, get up, get up. You can do this. And inside of each of us is a little Debbie and a little Betty and a little Janie, and a little Colette. And I want us to look at that little girl and say, 
I took some steps that didn't turn out as well as I had hoped. They gave me experience, and the experience I have is that nothing is impossible. I have probably gone through the worst of my horrible imaginations, and I am moving forward. I'm taking you with me. I would say this, Debbie, I'm taking you with me because we deserve to have fun together. There you go. That's true, and and I heard you talking about your friend, your dear friend. I think this was in your TEDx talk again, which is feel the financial fear and do it anyway. And if you audience, if you haven't watched it, you got to watch it. But you talked about your friend, Dr. Susan Jeffers, and her her book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, mm-hmm. and that pain to power continuum. Can you just touch uh-huh. on that briefly? Because I'm going to go get that book actually. Oh, you must. Uh, this is one. Uh, perhaps my single favorite book in the world beside the Bible. And I will say to you, I had this book for from a long time, and, and I'm, I'm holding it right now because uh, I want to read something from it. I must have 20 post-it notes hanging out of e- e- any of the sides of the pages. It is so dog-eared. The back of the spine is completely broken. She is so amazing. Read this book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Now, I was a younger financial advisor, and, of course, I was dealing with fear all the time. And I was so profoundly affected by her writing. And I thought, what I wouldn't give to, to be in this woman's space. I would just like to sit beside her through osmosis. I would be smart, right? So I thought, oh, yeah, she's going to be too busy. She's going to be too busy. Finally, I muster up the courage. I looked at the title. Feel the fear of doing it anyway. I said, Deborah Lynn Morrison, for the love of God, pick up the phone. And I did, and I called her. I thought I was going to go through four handlers. She picks up the phone. Hello, this is Susan. <laughs> I was, I'm, I was always speechless, and you know me, I'm never speechless. I was just like, blah, 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 blah. and I was here in New Jersey, and she was in Santa Monica, California. I said, Dr. Jeffers, I have read your book backwards and forwards, diagonally, probably 10 times. It is so dog-eared. I am so impressed with you. I would be delighted to fly to California to have a coffee with you. Is there any room in your schedule whatsoever? Oh, let's take a look, she said. She pulls out her calendar, and like, a Thursday from then, I got in a plane, I landed, I taxied over to her place. We had a four-hour brunch. She invited me across the street to her high-rise office on one floor, con- uh, living space on the other floor, introduced me to her husband, Mark, looking over the ocean. We were such fast friends, it was incredible. And I was so ecstatic. I think that was one of, it was definitely a highlight in my life. She just was completely, completely great. Now on page 33 of her book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, she says, if everybody feels fear when approaching something totally new in life, yet so many are out there doing it despite the fear, then we must conclude fear is not the problem. Rather, it's how we hold the fear. And she made a pain-power continuum that is so completely revolutionary. I use it in my TEDx talk, and I give it out on my website, I think. It's, and just ping me for it, and I'll give you a copy of it. It's on the left-hand side. There are um, 
there are words, emotions, pain, okay, helplessness, depression, and paralysis, of course. And then pain is on the left-hand side, and underneath there are those words, helplessness, depression, and paralysis. And then you draw a horizontal line across to the right of each of those helplessness, depression, and, and paralysis to the power end of the continuum. And so helplessness goes to choice, and depression goes to excitement, and paralysis goes to action. And the thing I love about it, and the brilliance of Susan, it cannot be cannot be defined. It, but the brilliance is that it's a continuum. So that if we are self-flagellating and we are feeling depressed, we know that there is a continuum based on Susan Jeffers' genius that we can slide over to choice. And that, my friends, is the power, that we have the choice to not remain victim for those times that we slip into it as we will as human beings. We can be depressed. Yes, we can. And I've said in, in another seminar, you know, I just don't want us to take up residency over there on that left-hand column. You can, you can rent a couple nights there, but I want you to be buying your houses on that power column, the choice, the excitement, the action. And we have that choice. And so we can slide along that continuum, and we can help each other slide along that continuum. And that's why I have a group called Women Navigating Finances on Facebook. Uh, for public, for the public, no charge. We can come together, and then I have a paid group, of course, that we come together in a similar fashion because physiologically, there was a study out of the Stanford University, Drs. Klein and another female uh, PhD, and, and talked about when women feel stressed, the physiological cure, if you will, the, the help for that is to bond with other women versus, versus the physiological instinct of men when they're under stress is to go and isolate so imagine that if we have a bunch of women who the stats say physiologically what is going to be part of our prescription for cure is to bond with each other and to say hey i was there oh i did that not to say I know that because we do not know that, and that is never a response that I would like to have come out of anyone's mouth. I know that nonsense, even if your partner committed suicide on a Saturday night before you were to be wedded, whatever it is, you do not know anyone else's experience. But what we can say is, oh my gosh, my partner did this, and my, oh, I was here when this and that, and, and, and what I do say to people when you don't know what to say when a, you're facing a grieving person is, I have no idea how you're feeling. Would you like to talk about it? And this is, uh, that's uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross question. I learned I was in her presence as many times as I could while she was alive. I remember I was in Connecticut and she was there talking and I talked with her afterwards. Oh my gosh, three cigarettes coming out of her mouth in the, in the hallway in the break. I thought, oh, sweetheart, we need you alive. But anyway, she had the question that she would always ask people when she went to the hospital. And they were, that was, would you like to talk about it? And if the person doesn't want to talk about their imminent death, they say, yeah, the weather's really been crappy lately. And take that lead. And then another time you can ask the same question and take the lead. I want us to be questioning sisters. I want us to be sisters that take action because even if you make a misstep, and certainly in finances, it can be followed by recovery steps. As you're hearing me, I recovered and then some. I never am, I have never in 42 years of hearing clients 
issues and in speaking and hearing questions and answers afterwards, never had a situation that couldn't be solved and solved well. How would you like to coach with a person like that? Like, you know, you, 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 we've all listened to the Olympics and the, and the Super Bowl. You know, these are coaches that have been through battle scars and have emerged. And you have been through your own battle scars. And I hope you have emerged. And if you haven't fully, and if you haven't forgiven yourself fully, I beseech you, gift yourself that grace. Now, because there's a whole lot of life out there and there's a whole lot of giving and loving that we can all enjoy and spread and be witness to for our sisters. And that is my passion in life is to translate what I know, what I have been uh, trained in, because so many women have not been trained in finances. They're expert nurses. They're expert wives and mothers. They're expert doctors. They're expert uh, engineers, whatever they are. But they haven't been trained in finance. And I have. Let's bring us together and let's share our skills. Because when I need a doctor, I'm going to you guys. When I need an engineer, I'm going to the engineer. And when you have a financial hiccup or a financial conundrum or what you believe is a setback, I want you to reach out to someone, and I offer myself, with that question, with that situation, so that we can help you move along Dr. Jeffers' continuum from your paralysis and depression into action, choice, and liberty. Big amen to that one. You know, I'm sitting here, I, I, I just love how you talk and, and, and how you present things and, you know, the, the cake reference and, and you do this a lot in our, in our classes where you're, you're giving real life things that we're listening to like the spice rack and that kind of thing. And for me, you know, learning the basics of, and I've had some financial training, but I still lost a lot of money. So, you know, my brain disconnected for a while. So it's like, how can I move again how you know and i'm 60 i'll be 64 so given my parents longevity i'm planning on living a long life so i've got another 30 40 years that i have to invest in how i you know and i'd love to learn how i can catch up and how i can do these things and maybe how much risk i can take or how much i shouldn't take and i love to bounce those off of you um and then i loved your challenge last week the finding the money challenge it's the little thing, yeah. paying attention to the fees or paying attention to those automatic deductions that are coming out, paying, you know, paying attention and learning the basics. And, and I laugh because I grew up with three brothers and my father taught me a lot of home repair. Well, my yeah. husband, late husband and, and my CJ right now, they're not home repair guys. And yep. so if you learn the basis of fixing a toilet or fixing a shower or replacing a battery, you can save a lot of money. And yes, you can. I love that part because most people our age are like, well, I've made a lot of money so I can pay someone else to do it. Well, that's a true yep. statement if you've got money in the bank. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other conversation about how we need to raise the next generation of you know, uh, plumbers and electricians and car mechanics yeah. and all those guys because kids don't want to do that. And that's, we'll talk about it another time. No. But learn the basics. Learn to trust yourself. You know, I love right. that feel the financial fear and do it anyway. Yeah, we're going to be scared because we don't know about it. But the mm-hmm. tips that you give are, are just the right, the right information. You know, you're not handing me that 3,000-page manual. You're saying, oh. okay, wow. 
start a $1 investment plan or a $100 investment plan. I did that. I started that Betterment account. Just We have other investments now, but I did it for me. Sure. And I upped it to yeah. $125. And I'm thinking, I'm watching it. There you I'm go. I'm not touching it because you said with the cake, don't open okay. the oven if the cake's not done. <laughs> so I, I've been listening. And I watch it. You have and been. I'm like, this is cool. Now I'm up to several thousand dollars, and that's fun. That gives me some trust in myself. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah. so I don't need that money in 10 years when I might need it. I might have fifteen or $20,000. Oh, and you will. Well, won't oh, that be fun? Will. Yes, so, it will be fun. So, Deborah it's Morris, fun. how can people get a hold of you, and how can they get into your Facebook group and talk to you? Well, thanks. I'd love for you to go over to Facebook. Uh, just it's Women Navigating Finances, plural. Uh, join up in that free group. I'm having a one-day event next Thursday, as it as it turns out, uh, February 24th, Thursday, from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern. And um, the title is Intentionally Wealthy Women. And we are going to talk about basic ideas around finance, how to recognize and manage risks, because risk is the currency for reward, and that's a new phrase for many of us, and yet we're going to take apart uh, insurance, investments, and what I call behavioral finance. Uh, what is north of our shoulders that might be stopping us? What has stopped us before? And I'm going to give us tips and tools and exercises to blast through that so that we can get to the next chapter and we can create the next several chapters. And so it's an action-packed day. Um, there's like six sections, I think. And it is a day that is completely open for questions, and there will be some presentation materials, uh, some of which you may want to um, you know, copy and so forth. Um, so go to womennavigatingfinances.com. That's my website, womennavigatingfinances.com forward slash IWW for Intentionally Wealthy Women. And until this weekend, we have early bird prices. Heavens, you can get in general admission, 47 bucks. It's almost half price. And VIP, VIP, 97 bucks. Um, again, half price. And, and with the VIP, you get, uh, uh, you get lifetime recordings. So um, I'll send you the recordings, and if you change computers and you lose them, I'll send you them again, no matter. And that gives you an ability to go back and kind of study, because like, women like to be good students of things, and sometimes you don't, we don't get everything the first time. I certainly don't. So that gives you that, and there's some fun swag involved with the VIP. And you also get my Truths About Money course, where I just dissect things and bring things into English, not finance. Because if we don't know the language, like if you go to a foreign country and you don't have a translator on your cell phone and you haven't been proficient with the language, you can't even figure out how to order a bagel or a donut or where is the restroom, right? We need to know the language of money, and we're going to talk about that also next Thursday. So short notice, but if you're able to join us for part of that Intentionally Wealthy Women, we're going to talk about the intentionality that gives people, and women in particular, that one step up on wealth. And most of it is financial, and yet there is very close correlation with our self-worth rising as our net worth rises. They are hand in glove. And so we're going to talk about how to be more wealthy with our health, because I've, I was on CNN, and, the, and Stuart Varney asked me, what is your best asset? And I know he wanted me to say a stock, um, and, I, and I didn't know what the heck to say. I was in practice, you know, two decades plus at that point, and, and I literally prayed to God, God, give me an answer to say, or on live television, CNN of all things. 
And I said, Stuart, I have two assets in life, time and health. I was shocked. He was shocked. He almost fell off his producer chair. He went immediately to, a, to a, an advertisement. Oh, my gosh, we have a certified financial planner here talking about time and health. And you know what? It's true. Anyone on the deathbed will give groups of zeros for more time and better health. Mm-hmm. And those are our values. I am want to say if money can solve it, it's not a problem. Now, money can help us through a lot of life's turmoils, and money can buy us experiences and, and, and anything we can imagine. But we need to have some money before we can spend it. And I want us to get focused on both. The why, what is it we're looking to do? And then the nuts and bolts of how to get there. And we're going to delve into that pretty deeply on Thursday. So if you can join us, join us. Well, super, and I'm going to be there, actually. I think it's an excellent use of my time and an excellent use of a little bit of money, and it's to, and we'll put it out there, Deb, and hopefully we'll get some extra folks for you because you give some great information, and I hear it over and over, and that's the thing. It's, it's listening and hearing it and applying it and hearing it and applying it. It's, it's a process, right. and we can recover from any financial oops because it's part of life, and and I love your philosophy of it and the simple ways that you teach us. So our hour has flown by, my friend. I knew it would. I so appreciate you. I'm going to send everybody to Women Navigating Finances to see what you're all about and to get into your Intentional Wealthy Women Conference next Thursday, February 24th. Thank you, my friend, for all of your wisdom today. Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. And uh, that's the end of a wonderful stand up and speak up. And thank everybody. I thank everybody for being with us today. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, Check out our Benfoteaming products at benfocomplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.